No Directions Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plaguestone Pathfinder 2e actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Directions own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at RollForCombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at NoDirectionPodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pathfinder RPG Q&A seminar here at Gen Con 2019. So, uh, this seminar, really, it's only Friday. I could get a little bit more energy out of you than that. Come on. There we go. There we go. Now I'm feeling it. All right. Uh, so this seminar, we are going to be uh, kind of mostly doing Q&A. We'll talk to you a little bit about the game. But uh, beyond that, it's going to be the, your questions and the questions from Twitch. So if you have questions about the game, uh, you know, I hope you brought them. I would, however, ask that if you have a question about a rules minutiae that you just figured out, we don't even have rule books up here. Now, we might remember, oh, but... Uh, yeah, didn't we have one that we left in the room? Quite possibly. But... We can probably this borrow is, one. The one thing I've learned about this seminar is the last thing we want to do is answer, like... Now, the feed on page 48 says, and that is, everyone is tuning out and falling asleep. So, so uh, you're but, saying the last thing we want to answer at the rules Q&A seminar is rules questions. No, no, no. What I'm saying is what we said. <laughs> Certain uh, rules questions. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, there's a level of minutia that's like, I compared this feed to this feed, and what do you think and how it reacts to it? All right, I'm getting <laughs> off track here. All right, so uh, the point is, Questions about the game? Yeah, let's do it, right? Um, and, you know, we'll get some minutiae questions. It's fine. But we'll try and keep it moving. Ah, all right. So, uh, hi, I am Jason Bullman. I'm the director of game design uh, at Paizo. And before we get going, why don't we introduce ourselves? Go right ahead. I'm Logan Bonner. I'm on the design team at Paizo. And uh, all three of us uh, poured our hearts and souls into the core rulebook and best area for this game. I'm Mark Seifter, and like Logan, I have a little bit less of my soul now because it's in the core rulebook and the best area for this game. In fact, there are phylacteries, so please don't destroy them. We need those. That's, At least that's don't destroy a, all the copies. Yeah. We split it up no, yeah, like no, Voldemort. Yeah. Uh, whether or not your copy has a part of our soul, well, we're not going to tell you that. But they are out there. Although the special editions, they do. Yeah, no, those definitely do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, this has been a, uh, a labor of love for us for three years, and, and not just for us. Right. Uh, you know, we work with an amazingly talented group of people at Paizo from the folks who edit, from the folks who lay it out, from the folks who make sure we hit the right printer specifications to customer service, to marketing, to sales, to warehouse. Everyone at Paizo has had their hand in this game. And, and in some ways, just as playtesters internally, as notes and ideas passed to us in the office, uh, if you see anybody here at Paizo with these with these purple shirts, these delightful purple shirts, uh, make sure to purple. go up and say thanks. <laughs> purple. Uh, make sure to go up and find them, say thanks, ask them to sign your book. They will be happy to do so. Um, we are all super excited to get this game out to all of you. So uh, before we do open it up to questions, I just want to kind of spend maybe, you know, five, ten minutes talking about 
what uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is kind of all about. Um, at its heart, when we first started this process, the, there were a number of goals, and we ended up prioritizing them for the most part, but some of them just kind of stayed in the like realm of these are things that we know we have to do. And one of those big things was we needed to find a way to take 10 years worth of game design and development and create a new system that still has home for all of those ideas, that still has a place for all of those stories, because ultimately we wanted to make sure that the game that second edition would become is a game that you already were kind of familiar with. The pieces were all there. It, the, 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 we got the band back together and we're ready to go out on new adventures. And, and, and a lot of that is just making sure that the stories that you tell, the characters that you make, they went from yesterday, you know, two days ago being first edition characters to waking up yesterday being a second edition character. But I didn't want them to know the difference fundamentally. Right? It's not like they woke up and all of a sudden there were, you know, dragon men everywhere. And I mean, there might be a few more goblins. I'll, I'll grant you that. But in, but in our world, there were always a lot of goblins. So I don't know that that's really that different. Um, but that's, that was kind of our, our, one of our primary objectives with the game. And, and why, don't, why don't each one of you talk about some of the things that you thought were really important when we were designing the new game? I put you on the spot. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. no, I did. I can pontificate more? for oh, yeah, sure. two minutes. I, yeah. um, for me... Um, so my background uh, before I was a game designer was in computer science. And so I thought it was important when we were designing the game to not only, like Jason said, keep the story the same, but to work with just the many different years of new game tech and also ideas that are ideas you might see if you too um, work in computer science for how to design a big system that works really well for you. Because Pathfinder First Edition is a game I love so deeply that like I left my degree, I came to work for that at Paizo, and that's when Jason told me on the first day, oh, we're making a new edition too. Yeah, that was day one. Oh, by the way, we're making a new edition. Yeah, so <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> but also, um, it's sort of like that code that you may have programmed that you wrote it, you didn't really write it to specifications or with like any documentation, and you can get it to do anything. It works so well for you, but if somebody else makes a change, five things break somewhere else because all of the systems are a little bit different. And so with Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I thought it was important to have a modular design. Things were parallel, they were sort of documented, you could understand how the system overall works so that when there's that thing about the new edition that you your group doesn't like, that isn't the best thing for your group, you can go in and change it completely and you're not going to break five things elsewhere. You want to remove the fact that you add your level to everything that's in the game. You can. You have a few things you have to readjust after that and you've done it. And that's a, one of the major math components of the game. You can just change it. You, if you try to do something like that in first edition... <laughs> Oh my goodness, you might be able to, in which case, if you're not writing third-party products, you might want to consider going into it because you're probably skilled enough to design for the game professionally. So, so the, I, I just want to add an anecdote to that because uh, I thought of a really good analogy. So back, back when we were working on first edition, whenever we would create a monster, we had this giant monster creation spreadsheet. And what it was was an Excel file that we would plug in data and it would output a monster stat block because I mean you've all built monsters in first edition it's like break out your slide rules and you know start really you know hammering down on some math and this spreadsheet over the years became so large and so convoluted 
and it was designed almost entirely by Sean K. Reynolds, uh, that as the system went on and as the years went on, more and more parts of it just started breaking because they would update Excel and it would have different syntax and all of a sudden there would be entire parts of the spreadsheet that would just give us like syntax error blah, and it'd be like, okay, well, I guess we don't get to figure out what monster skills are anymore. I don't know. Arcana. Um, so, uh, but, but that's, a good, that's a good analogy, right? It's that the game was so robust. It was so deep in how it, it, it did the things that it tried to do that the moment anyone else had it to come in there and tinker, it, it, you had to rediscover the entire path. And that, that can be very fun and very rewarding. And I know, I mean, we did it for 10 years. So, you know, we, we had a good time doing it. Uh, but there comes a point where you just have to go, oh, isn't there a better way? So, oh. That give you time to figure it out? Yeah. Okay. All right, <laughs> I, I didn't listen to anything you said. I was okay, yeah, thinking perfect. of my own answer. You never have to. So uh, it's the same answer. <laughs> so uh, uh, my answer is the, the thing that I find really compelling about role-playing games is your choices and how they matter and how they influence the game. Uh, and I think having those choices be meaningful and impactful is one of the most important things you can do for an RPG. And I feel like Pathfinder 1 had a lot of choices that weren't choices. It was like, I want to figure out about that monster. Okay, well, I'm just going to roll it because there's no consequences to not rolling it, so I might as well. Uh, and we kind of wanted to put in more, uh, more, more risk and more interest in that. So it's, now it's like... What's the worst thing that can happen in first edition if I try to identify this monster? Well, I spent no actions to do it, and I failed, and I got no information. Oh, no. Now it's like, I'm going to try to figure out that, about that monster. Well, what if you're wrong? Yeah. Well, you can be wrong. You can critically fail and get wrong information. Whereas in first edition, it's just like, well, I can't be wrong. I can just not know anything. Nobody ever knows wrong information about anything. That's true. The, the world is really interesting that way. Yep. Uh, all hail the living God. <laughs> uh, so, um, and that was one of those things that's like that and uh, like when I'm picking my skill ranks at each level, it's like most of those choices, uh, you know, I can straight from that, but like five of those ranks, there's not really a choice there. I just increased the thing that I'd already increased, you know, seven levels in a row. So I, uh, one of the things I really wanted to see was more of your choices mattering. So we kind of went with kind of fewer choices overall, but each of them mattering more. Uh, and that was one of the things I really wanted to drive home. That happens with monster design as well. Uh, it's like, well, I'm not spending all these skill points that don't matter. I am picking the skills that matter for the monster and how strong they should be. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know... Uh, before we open it up, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, one of the things that we thought was super important when looking at the, the systems for the new game was to just figure out more elegant solutions to complex problems. So um, uh, I've mentioned this before. Uh, you know, when we looked at how you customize your character in, in first edition, there were a lot of different ways you could do that. You could multi-class, you could take an archetype, uh, you could grab a prestige class. All of these were basically trying to do the same thing. They said, all right, let's bolt some new abilities onto your character at the cost of something else. And they all were trying to do that conceptual thing, but each one was doing it in a different way. Uh, and oftentimes in a way that was confusing to new players because they would learn one and then have to learn the other one and then have to learn a third one and all of a sudden just to say hey you want to change up your character and do a cool concept well there's three different ways you can do that they're all different 
Good luck. Um, and if you and, want to be a pirate, are you a rogue or are you a fighter? Yeah, no, there were so many different ways that that worked. And and there's there's some value in that, right? Because it's like, what path do you want to take? There's lots of different paths you can take. But the drawback, I think, kind of outweighs that benefit, which is this is really complicated to, to explain. Now, for all of you who played first edition, I know you know this. I know you got it. And, and, and that can be a little daunting to be like, well, I didn't think it was complicated. Well, of course not. You, 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 you put in the time. You did the effort. You, you made it past the threshold. You were there. And that's awesome. And you had a great time with it. But I'm telling you right now, for new players, that's a thing that says, I don't, I, I think I'm going to go play a simpler game. This is too complicated. Um, so when it came time for second edition, we said, well, all three of these things are trying to do the same thing. Let's just call them all archetypes and be done with it. Let's find a way that all three of those things are basically just the same system. You want to customize your character, spend class feats on things that are not your classes or competencies. That's it. You're a little less wizard. You're a little more fighter. You're a little less rogue. You're a little more pirate. You're uh, you know, a little less champion. You're a little bit more gray maiden. right? Whatever it is that you want to have be the, the expression of your character, let's just find one route to do it mechanically and then open it up to as wide of a number of options as possible. That was the real moment of kind of truth, was like, can we find a way to make this as uncomplicated as possible, but still keep our options so wide and so deep that we can present you with kind of all of the amazing options and features and abilities that you come to know from Pathfinder. Right, 10 years worth of archetypes, 10 years worth of classes, you could make millions of different character combinations. We're not there yet with Pathfinder 1st Edition. We're only at about 80,000 in the first Cordwell book. But give us a few more books and we'll be right back up there because the new system is so much more diverse than that. So uh, I think, unless anyone has anything else they want to add, we can open it up to questions. I think we're, we've done enough pontificating. Ready. We've done enough philosophy of 2E. Yeah. The philosophy of 2E. That's on Sunday. That's on Sunday. Uh, so. so, yeah, before we do get started, uh, just so folks know, yeah, th this, this is our only 2E seminar today. Tomorrow, uh, there's another character creation seminar, and there's the 29, Paizo 2019 and Beyond seminar. If you want to know about all the kind of cool, crazy stuff coming up in the future, that's the panel you're going to want to be at. The panel that we're doing on Sunday is the philosophy and kind of future of Pathfinder. Um, we'll be talking more about the things we talk about in the 2019 and beyond seminar there, but you have to wait till then. We're, we're saving all of our spoilers for, for Saturday. So at this point in time, I think what we'll do is we'll open it up for questions. Note that this is on Twitch, so if you ask a question, you will be on Twitch, or at least your voice will be. Um, so if you'd like to just line up behind the microphone, that'd be a great way to get started. And every once in a while, we will take questions from Twitch. So those of you who are on Twitch, if you have questions, uh, let the mods know, and uh, they will queue you up, and occasionally the mod will jump in to, uh, to ask some questions. So we'll start right here. Uh, were, there any, were there any rules that you were surprised or heartbroken to not have survived the playtest? Not really. Um, I think most of the I think I, most of the stuff survived. There were some things that yeah. we tested out um, that we were like maybe. My, no, my my, my babies that I was really worried about all made it because and you guys actually sometimes approved of them at a ninety percent when I thought oh my gosh this is going to be contentious like. The sorcerers having all four of the different traditions based on your bloodline. Um, that was one that 
I wasn't sure these guys would like it, and they're like, Mart, that's a good idea. So we brought it to the rest of Paizo. I wasn't sure they would like it. And they're like, yeah, let's try it. And then you guys really, really liked it. So um, I think all the things we changed overall, the big systems, the big rules, were things, as far as I'm concerned, that we kind of expected we might. Oh, I'll, I'll throw myself on this grenade. I, I kind of wish Resonance would have made it in some way, shape, or form. I know everybody hated it, and, and, and I'm not even going to try and defend it because the implementation for it was, was all stick and no carrot, but the carrot was really going to be an interesting part of it. We just never really got to fully explore it. Well, it, and it I, did make it in some form. Well, you just I, still have, kind of, the, yeah. the part that was popular was a limited was number the of one thing. Yeah, so yeah, that, absolutely. That absolutely. But I, I think there was the, the thing that we never got around to being able to fully play with was using resonance to like supercharge magic items and things like that, which would have been yeah. really awesome. But yeah, ultimately, not bit, being able to drink a potion was just a deal breaker it, for everybody. It was a, I, I get it. I mean, yeah, it was a cure is worse than the disease kind of thing. It was yeah, like yeah, we yeah. we it was like we could try to solve the problem this way. So the problem still exists, and we've tried to find ways to mitigate it. But fundamentally, like the tracking and the yeah. was too much of a pain in the ass. Yeah. So. Yep. so so yeah, I you know. Yeah, not not all of our babies are precious. I also like words of power, so I, you know whatever. <laughs> I, 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 I have a, a one that is not a rules thing, but the thing I really wish we hadn't changed is uh, having the magic items just in alphabetical order, oh, yeah. um, oh, because yeah. that was one of the things like the surveys really said. Like, no, we want magic items broken out by category, um, but. Uh, it makes uh, it just much easier to reference kind of like the spells chapter if you're like doing an adventure and you're yeah i have trouble I, I finding them like this yeah. but you guys wanted it and I'm, we gave you guys one that's easier we'll, for you we'll get used to it it's yeah. just going to be for a little while it's like wait where are runes again it's, all right they're in that spot it's one yeah. of those things that's like it's more of a pain to run it using if it's uh broken up by category but if you're shopping it can be a lot more useful yeah that's fair. yes next Okay, um, so the first thing I want to clarify is, like, I was one of the people who wrote, like, a thesis-like paper on, re on like, on, like, the issue with resonance and, like, not being able to chug potions, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, no. like, I, you have no idea how many of those I have. I could have a PhD, I could have a PhD in hating resonance. By the way. <laughs> no, we, we could run a conference yeah. on re hating but, resonance where we submitted all the papers for peer review. Yeah, we're, we're going <laughs> to have that in the Bahamas, though, and I'm just going to yes. have that at the beach. Yeah. But anyway, um, like I've been like tinkering around with like some of the options um with the um with second edition and like from what I've seen it's pretty much possible to replicate like all but the weirdest classes from first edition. Inquisitor, Magus, um Spiritualist. Like the only one that I wasn't really able to mimic wa was the summoner and the occultist, um and and the kineticist. And I'm so so I'm sort of wondering like where are you guys going to go from here? Are you going to be like just focusing on these core classes and providing new options, or are you going to like introduce, like reintroduce a lot of the like older classes, even though they might be a little bit redundant with the new options? So uh, first off, I want to say that releasing, uh, and it was supposed to go up yesterday, but I think we might have had a bit of a tech snafu. Um, the, there is a conversion guide, and it's not. Don't don't go to this expecting this is how you change every feat in first edition to a feat in second edition. That's not what it is. That's way too complicated. But what it does do is it says, oh, what character class were you in first edition? Here's how you build a character that's very similar to that in form and idea in second edition. And we did that for all 40 classes. And I would say that there's like seven or eight where we hit a point where we we're like, yeah, you can kind of do yeah. this. Like Summoner were like, uh, you get an animal companion and give it tentacles and four butts. I don't know. That's <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I think that got cut out by edit. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, there, there's seven or eight that are really kind of tricky because we just don't have any of the rule systems in place for them. Like, I mean, the gunslinger is awesome, but we don't have any rules for guns yet, so that's going to make that a challenge. It's not impossible. As a matter of fact, it's pretty easy to look at how we build weapons and kind of imagine what a gun might look like in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. So I don't think it's hard to do. I mean, if you reskin your crossbow, they yeah, not reload. You could, They're yeah, actually... If you just make a crossbow noisy, you're pretty much there. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, but I, I think, you know, that's that's kind of something that we, we've thought about already. We talk about converting monsters and classes and things like that. As, as far as where the future goes... Um, Go to the 2019. Yeah, well, they, uh, go to that first. I, go, go to that first. But I think the thing is, there are a lot of classes, and one of the things we heard like really early on, once we put out like the playtest version of the sorcerer, was people saying like, "Well, that's just the oracle now, right? You can just make an oracle," um, which is very slightly true. It's like mechanically, you can have something that looks pretty similar to an oracle in the broad strokes, but the sorcerer doesn't tell the same story that the oracle tells. The sorcerer is about like, "Well, I was born with this." This magic blood and I get to do these things and my magic bloodline comes out through me whereas the Oracle is in a very different spot from that sorcerer so a lot of it is even if they are using the same spell list even if they are casting spells in the same way there's so much other color that um, because Pathfinder even first edition was not 3-5 whereas like well that is the distinction kind of yeah. Pathfinder introduced the bloodlines to sorcerer and that's the same kind of thing we're going to continue doing with classes is like what is the extra additional story based uh, reason that this class is different from the other one and that's still going to be really that's going to thrive Oracle is a good example of one that looks the same on the surface level but has more depth but I'll give the Slayer as a counter example where literally the ranger went from just like Aiding a certain type of person um, to now studying individual targets like the Slayer did. So if you have a ranger with maybe the rogue multi-class archetype for some sneak attack, you are telling the story of the Slayer pretty much. That would be an example of one that you're pretty close already, um, as opposed to the Oracle where you don't have the curse, you don't have the revelations or the mystery. Which doesn't mean a Slayer can <laughs> never exist, but it means like it needs to have a new niche and a so, new uh, reason and, for... And that brings that. me around to my, what I would add to that, is that whenever you look at one of our classes from first edition, there's two ways to look at it, from its conceptual niche and its rules niche, right? You know, what did it do mechanically? Okay, that's cool. What did it do story-wise? That's cool. If uh, a class from first edition, like the Oracle is a great example, kind of got its rules niche eaten by the sorcerer, right? Uh, the, the I'm a divine spellcaster that is spontaneous... Yeah, the sorcerer kind of does that pretty well right now. But there was a story niche for the oracle that is like, I am cursed, and um, this didn't make it too much in there, but it, it is still a part of its DNA, was that the oracle was also intended to be kind of pantheistic. Um, you know, it's like you kind of focus on the domain, not the deities behind it. So it's like, oh yeah, no, I worship the fire pantheon. Like, that is a really cool concept that we could build interesting stuff around. Um, so for a lot of these, there may be some re-envisioning to keep them in the family, as it were. Um, but uh, I think there are definitely others that we're looking at like, ah, maybe you're just an archetype now. So we'll see. I have a Twitch question from Rico the Bold. Is there an intended time frame for when devs will start providing guidance, answers to the facts, or potential errata that folks have noticed? Sure. 
Um, so we, of course, you know, the moment you send it to the printer, you start a timer. And that timer is how long until somebody finds a mistake. And it's usually only a few days. It's always depressing when we're like, ah, damn it. There's a typo. Uh, and, uh, you know, as it goes on with a book that is 640 pages long and a bestiary that's 360 pages long, over a thousand pages, yeah, you're going to have some mistakes. You know, we have a great team of editors, a, a talented team of developers, and, you know, then I guess us. And, uh, but, you know, mistakes are going to creep in. So when are we going to get around to answering those? I would say soon. Um, I think you will see some, what I would call early day errata for a few things that we noticed that are kind of game critical. I, I don't think we, I, I, I told everybody before, and it was like, we know of a couple things that we know are kind of more problematic than others but we didn't run into anything that was like oh the game breaks if we don't tell anyone about that so that's good um but the things that we did find a few of them are rather irksome there's like the wrong symbol on a was it a ranger a ranger yeah feet. there's a ranger you guys figured it out you that, said that can't be a free action that can't be can and, and you are correct you're right it's you're a correct so yeah in your core robot just turn that 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 empty uh free action icon just marker that in to make it solid um it's supposed to be an action so but we'll, we'll release some of that probably in the next few weeks uh as far as errata and faq uh the policy for that is still kind of gelling up but uh you know it'll probably be not entirely dissimilar to first edition we'll be taking errata questions and feedback from all of you we'll do our best to get some of that out to you and then it will eventually get incorporated into future versions and printings and all that kind of stuff but the game just released so we're still building that list other than the uh, three action economy what's your favorite new rule or modified rule from first edition right well this time i can give it because last seminar we said what's your favorite new rule that hasn't already been stated but we'd already stated it so four degrees of success are um it's one of the things that i was pitching for very early jason talks about our three years those are three heavy hardcore years with maybe a break for starfinder in there so that they went back further this was from maybe that first year after Jason was like, hey, we're going to make a new game. Makes a few concept docs, a few little things that you're looking into. And the four degrees of success was something very early on that I was very interested in and that I think have a big impact on the game. And Pathfinder has them a little bit already, right? Because if you fail to disarm a trap by five or more, it goes off. If you fail to climb by five or more, you fall. But standardizing that across the system. So if you succeed by 10 or more, you get a critical success, fail by 10 or more, you get a critical failure. And the 20 and the 1 up or lower your success rate by one rate. It has so many interesting effects throughout the game, um, especially in terms of spells that used to be save or lose spells, where it was going to be no fun for pretty much anyone except maybe you on one of the sides of it, because whenever the wizard casts the save or lose spell on, on the boss, it's either like, wizard, you did nothing. The boss saved, why did you waste a turn? Why did we even bring you? Or, wizard, the fight's over. Mark's really mean to the to wizards in his yeah, party. Like, why did we even bring you? Yeah, why and he's like, not? I just wanted friends. Just wanted friends. <laughs> yeah. Back of the row, as It's like, wizard, you just ended the fight. We didn't get to attack. I'm usually am the wizard, so I've seen this when I when I've cast those spells. We didn't get to do anything. That was no fun for us. So, um, with four degrees of success, um, now that those two things can still happen, but they are so unlikely that people won't eventually get frustrated with the wizard after say four successes on the enemy save. They were so you did nothing for four rounds in a row, or 
four combats in a row that the wizard ends on the first round before anybody goes. Now, those are rare. More likely, the wizard will do something awesome, but not fight ending, because a regular failure, or pretty good, but not great for the regular success on the saving throw. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, monster creation. Um, I think uh, first edition kind of told you, okay, build a monster this way and try to hit these numbers. And second edition tells you, these are the numbers. Make the monster uh, balance out the way you want it to play out. Give it abilities that are cool and interesting. Look at the best area and see which abilities you can you can grab and add on as needed. Um, and I think that's going to make monsters just a lot more interesting, a lot cooler, and is just overall a, a net win. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go relatively simple and big picture as well. I could pick tiny little bits of minutiae, like I really love this cool ability on the skeleton. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Throwing your head at somebody is just hilarious. I'm sorry. I laughed and laughed. The first time I did that to somebody in the office, they were just like, what? <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, he just pulls his own head off and throws it at you. Okay. Uh, but no, I would, I would actually go with, uh, I, I love the way that the proficiency system just kind of unifies the game. It allows you to be able to speak a common language that's like, oh, I'm trained at long swords. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm a master at stealth rolls. Great. Everybody knows what that is. The moment you learn what that formula is, it's just like, yeah, now I know how the math of everything works. And you don't have to do it in terms of numbers. You can do it in a way that's kind of more descriptive and almost in-game. I'm not sure people in the game would be like, ah, you should go see our expert blacksmith. Wait, is he really an expert or is he a master? Because we actually need a master. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think you actually do that, but it, it, it does get you closer to that than being like, oh, we need someone with a plus eight. Who's your plus eight blacksmith? Is he over there? No, he's plus seven. Kill him. Uh, so, or at least, or, or at least, or at least make him fight some more things so he gets a plus eight. Uh, you know, and uh, I think there's just some there's some fun tech in the way that that functions that it allows us to have things that now compare properly, right? You know, so we can do an athletics check against a reflex DC, and that works. That doesn't break the game. It means we didn't have to have stats like combat maneuver defense anymore uh, because we had to. That was a stat we had to create just to make the numbers work. I, I'm just glad those are gone now. It's just so much simpler, which means you can get back to what you really are there to do, which is tell a good story. Next. Speaking of proficiency, um, in the playtest we had untrained was just your level, yeah, and then. Um, then you'd get your training and get extra bonuses. But in the final release, untrained is just, you're stuck with your modifier. So what caused that shift? Why, why is untrained now just suck at, you, you suck at this thing now? So all of you. All of you. <laughs> or why oh. we changed it? Yes. All, all no, of no, you no. except you specifically. Oh, no, no, no. Except for uh, you. Apparently except for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So, uh, so, no, I, so no, what I'll do is I'll say this. I will say that one of the things that we realized, so we, we were sitting in a meeting and I said, well, why not? Because we knew a lot of people had asked for it. They said the thing that was breaking a lot of their verisimilitude, the, the argument we saw over and over again came down to skills. Where they said, why can my 15th level wizard swim through a hurricane with some chance of success? He, he never learned how to swim. He, is, in fact, is afraid of water. But if you throw him in the water, he swims like a fish. He's like an Olympian. Like, and, and I was just like... Okay, and, and so we kind of sat in a meeting and it was just like, well, why not? Why don't we just pull it? 
Like, because what what's it actually affecting? What do characters actually have that are e that can even be untrained? And the only answer is skills and weapons and armor that they're not really supposed to be using. And it was like, oh, yeah, no, let's just pull it. I mean, nobody's untrained at will saves. Um, at least not yet. We'll give you that class later where it's just like, nope, I get dominated all the time. How are you guys? Uh, and this was, is... I'm the thrall. I'm a fourth level thrall. Oh, right. We, we don't do NPC classes yeah. anymore, Jason. Oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry. It was a really interesting meeting. There was a lot of back and forth because at first, like, everyone online was always like the wizard climbing, the wizard swimming. So, like, I, I said, well, what if we just made, like, climb and swim trained only and created, like, a Scrabble and a doggy paddle action or something like that that you could do untrained that was really bad at it? And we thought about that for a while. And eventually, um, we. We agreed to do the just modifier, even though in some cases, like literally, if no one in your party has the skill, it probably would might have been more fun at that table if you had a chance to make the skill. But a lot of people just have their verisimilitude or their experience outside of the game. Just 70, 80% of people were saying that they were wanted to go that way. That gets broken by what happens. And in some cases, you have to do something that might not be the best gameplay at a particular table to help a majority of people with the fantasy of how it plays. Yeah. That said, we added a bunch of ways to get to add your level anyway to untrained skills, yeah, and I, I those was, are going to be popular at the tables of people who like those. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. So now we have a, a general feat that can give you your level to untrained skills, which is like, that is a significant boost if you are planning to try a lot of things with your skills that you aren't trained in. But it's not also like if you don't have it, you're not going to be totally screwed because most of those things you weren't going to try anyway. And the other thing we did was we took some things that you would kind of have to defend against using skills and move those to different things. So like uh, grabbing an edge when you're falling became reflex instead of a reflex save uh, instead of an acrobatics check. And a lot of those things like reflex save versus acrobatics check is kind of a an area anyway that's already is like those conceptually are very close. Uh, so we kind of removed a lot of things where it's like you'd be defending with a skill now that you would be completely abysmal at it at a certain level if you... Yeah, uh, plus even if you didn't take the feat, we created a general exploration activity called Follow the Expert. And this allowed us to get back what we wanted, which we wanted you to not have to just give up the game when the wizard had to climb a wall and the wizard was low enough level that they didn't have any spells for it yet. Or the paladin had to sneak. Right. So with Follow the Expert... If you're not trained, you follow the person who is. And for the people who with the story in their head can't be that the wizard's good at climbing, that's okay. The wizard is following the fighter. The fighter's doing the heavy lifting, maybe pulls the wizard up. That lets you add your level, even though you don't have the skill, and you get a circumstance bonus based on how good the other character is. They have to be at least an expert. That's why it's called follow the expert. So that way, the person who is good at that skill brings you up. It still does what we want, which is that you don't just suddenly have the game fail because someone's modifier is 30 less than everybody else. But um, it doesn't break the verisimilitude for those of you who, who answered that way on the I, survey. I think it's one of, those, the, one of these areas of the rules that a simple change that was just like, well, it's a lot more closer to what people imagine when we say you're untrained, you don't get any bonuses at all. And, and, and that simple decision actually spawned a whole bunch of complex rules that we needed to kind of find homes for and make sure that the game worked in other ways. So follow the experts, a good example. We had to change it so that if somebody stuffs you in a suit of armor you're not good at wearing, you can always still take your unarmored AC bonus 
that you still have. You can still be like, well, I'm unarmored, but I still take all the penalties for wearing the armor that I'm not good at. You're not automatically defaulting to the armor proficiency that you don't have, and all of a sudden your AC drops to 10. You don't stuff a wizard in armor and be like, aha, now he's easy to kill. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, instant armor would become the best debuff spell in the game once it existed. Yeah, you just so, test on your enemy. Yeah, ah, no, no, no. you have full plate now. Oh, no. Oh, bunk. <laughs> uh, so it, it was things like that that, that kind of changed up the game. Yeah, and yeah. We have a question from Twitch from user trdg11 um, in Pathfinder 2e. How would you go about adapting mass combat uh, rules to the game? Well, a lot of those subsystems that are in the game that don't talk to your players' statistics, you can probably use right now. And that's not saying that Pathfinder First Edition's mass combat is the be-all, end-all of mass combat, or that we might not have a really cool way to interface it with. Second edition the next, when we decide to revisit it. But for now, and I haven't done it with mass combat, but I know it well enough that it should work. But I've done it with the influence system. I've done it with verbal duels for War for the Crown. Everything that's in War for the Crown, which I've converted to second edition to run for my group. You can just run the mass combat from first edition for now because it doesn't use your player statistics. It just has like offense value and its own different stats. Yeah, and I, I think now that we're, we're we got about ten minutes left, let's keep oh, these to kind of rapid fire. Yeah, no, I know time goes by. And yeah. We'll keep these rapid fire. So just one person asked, and we'll keep it succinct. We'll get through a fair number of folks next. Uh, so my favorite new change in the system is the actual splitting up of the spell lists into four uh, spell lists. Now that we've kind of opened that that box, are there is that, is that always going to stay four spell lists, or is there going to be more different types of spell lists that happen later on down the line, or? If I have my way, and I often do, but not always, uh, I'd prefer to keep it to four. I don't don't want to add another spell list. And what we tend to do instead of saying, like, we would have to have, like, something really massive happen to add an additional spell list. What we usually do is, like, what you see with the Sorcerer, where it's like, well, my bloodline gives me these particular spells. And those can be off a different spell list. Or with a, a, a deity giving you a spell that is not on the divine list. We do more of those things where it's like, well, this speaks very specifically to this uh, this class or this um, subset of rules rather than making an entirely new spell list. Uh, we don't think that's going to be necessary. Time will tell, but that's, that's the that's, most likely That's direction. the hope, because four spell lists is actually really easy for us to work with. And I don't know about you guys, but by the end of the first edition, those books were like, we have 20 pages of spells and 10 pages of spell lists because of all the different classes that we get access to them. And that's that's just that's just like, uh, forget those pages. All right. Uh, next. Uh, what are you guys most excited about for game masters when they start planning their own adventure mm-hmm. paths? Like, what what... What are game masters going to be excited to find out I'm, as they're doing that? I'm glad how much time they're getting back if they're designing their own monsters uh, and designing their own things. We put a lot more effort into kind of saying, like, here are best principles. Um, and the when the, you get the game mastery guide, you're going to see, like, a lot of advice on building monsters, talking about it as an art rather than uh, a math problem. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy with how many tools we're giving them and how we're kind of upfront telling them the best ways to use them. And just monsters. Like, I mean, let's be honest, just looking at cool monsters is so much yeah. fun now. And, and monsters having more cool abilities. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yep. Welcome Long back. Time. Hi. Um, so in the playtest, more playtest to second edition questions, um, the weapons and armor had the extension of basically the masterwork system from first edition. And that no longer exists in second edition, as far as I can tell. What drove that decision? 
I can answer this one. Uh, so we killed that because it was trying to do the exact same thing as Magic Pluses, and Magic Pluses are more exciting. That doesn't mean there isn't a home for that at some point in time in the future. But we realized that for the core of the game, it was making things really confusing. It was like, oh, wait, no, I have an expert plus three sword. Well, wait, is that giving me, what, what the hell bonus is that even giving me now? And it also got magnified by the fact that those terms suddenly meant, you know, something kind of different. Saying you were an expert now kind of meant level plus four and when, when we, when, if we gave you an expert longsword, it wasn't going to mean plus four. So that automatically now all of a sudden decoupled from the system in a way that yeah. we were like, oh, no, we'd have to come up with different terms already. So uh, the whole thing just kind of unraveled because of other changes that were more important. And we also asked you this in the survey, and um, we, we wanted to know, basically, there was a question about magic weapons and magic items uh, with pluses. And... The answer you guys gave was decrease the value of the pluses. They are too much. They're causing too much of an impact on the game. But we want them to still be in there and do magic and give the bonus. And that and um, like I was interested in what would happen if we didn't have the magic pluses anymore. But that's not the way we went. But we have and we have said before the game mastery guide has variants and will possibly be a good home for I, that thing that Jason was I, talking about. I think about. I definitely want a place in the game and, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna put a, a nail in this that says there are ways that you can be like, no, this is a super high quality sword made by a legendary craftsman. It's not magic, but it is awesome. And that that needs to exist. We just need to find the right rules home for it that makes it not just be like well, it's either way too expensive but still worse than a magic item or way too cheap and better than a magic item. Like, there's so many... It's fraught with peril, but it's. I think it's something that's worth having. Next. Okay, so there was a sentence that frustrated me as a GM in the playtest that was all over it, and it's still throughout the book, uh, and that's the DC of this check is determined by the GM. Mm -hmm. Are generally the DC of any check, sure determined by the GM, but as a GM, what am I supposed to do with that? I don't know the intricate math of the game. I don't know how hard this is supposed I'm gonna to be. I'm going to tell it to you right now. Great. Is it something an untrained person should be able to do? The DC should be 10. If they are trained, it should be 15. If they're an expert, it should be 20. If they're a master, it should be 30. And if they're a legend, it should be 40. That's Thank it. you. You're done. That's and, a, that's and, just, and just to <laughs> clarify that just a, a bit, and Jason said at the start, uh, that is... The, the hypothetical person, that does not mean, oh, this character in yeah. my specific group is expert, therefore I have to give them the expert DC. Yeah. And then you can kind of do plus two, plus five, plus ten for, uh, you know, uh, hard, very hard, incredibly hard, and same with easy, you can do minus So, yeah, if you had no idea, that's where you go. If yeah. you knew this stone wall was created by a 13th level um, stonemason, there's also a table for like the person or enemy you're going up against is this level. Here's what the DC is. So we've got the simple table Jason gave. We've got the level by level table if you know the level of the opposition in that case. Use one of those or make it up on your own if you do know the math and want to make something so, else up. So let me give you an example that, that'll help you understand how, how this would actually work here real, real briefly. Uh, you have a, uh, a rogue who is being chased by a dire wolf through the woods. And they run uh, up to a, not a pine tree that would be easy to climb, but something like an oak. 
where they have to get up the trunk before they can get up to branches to safety. I wouldn't say that that's something an untrained person can climb easily. I would probably say, yeah, you should be trained for that. So let's call the DC 15. All right, great, it's 15. Except for the fact that it's in the middle of a thunderstorm, it's raining heavily and the bark is slip. slick. Let's just bump it by two. It's now 17. That's it. We're good to go. If there were handholds in it, I'd knock it down too, yeah. right? You know, you just bounce things up and down. It's real simple. What if I had pitons, Jason? If you had pitons, <laughs> if you had pitons, you would start putting them in, and then I'd have you roll for initiative as the dire wolf bit you in the butt. <laughs> Specifically. Next. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually have a question about something you discussed earlier in the seminar in response to my last question. Sure. Um, like what you discussed about classes, um, like having be having like two aspects: the crunch aspect and the fluff aspect. Um, I've um, I personally disagree with this, um, sure. uh, uh, but I'm sort of curious, like why um, why do you feel that the fluff aspect of a class is so important to it when fluff is in a lot of ways mutable? No, it is mutable, but it, what it is is that the and I, and I wouldn't fluff makes it sound too light. I would say it's the story aspect, and what that is is that's how all of us hook into a thing narratively. Right, I think it's really important when we're playing something that is a shared narrative and a shared story together that when we describe it, we all have a similar picture in our heads. It doesn't have to be the same. It, it won't be. It, it kind of can't be. But ultimately, we all need to be able to share in the story together. So the story of a thing is really important. Like having a thing have its rules equate to its its place in the world and the way its narrative, the way its story plays together, that's kind of why we do this. That's how we do it, in fact. It's 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 that shared kind of headspace that allows us to all kind of sit around a table, put our heads together, and tell amazing stories. So when when I'm looking at a at a mechanical piece of the game, the narrative element, although it is very mutable, it needs to come from a place that at least is understandable by everyone who approaches it, so that they can all hook into it and we can all be kind of telling the same story. If I strip away all the narrative pieces and instead I'm just like, well, you're just a collection of numbers and stats, that'll work great if you want to reskin the game to be a you know Cthulhu horror game and and that'll be fun. But it, it, it all of a sudden is an awful lot of work for everyone involved to make that happen. So what we're trying to do is give you easy tools where everybody can kind of share the same story. It's the reason the fighter is not just called the DPR and all the feats don't just list the amount of damage per round that it does and no aspect of anything else. All right, so we're real close on time, so I do want to hit the last two folks who are standing. So let's, let's hit these real quick. Um, it seems like late in uh, late the process, apparently there were some changes with how non-spellcasters do and things like wisdom for monks got dropped from the rule book in rules text but exists in flavor text and uh, rogues doing cantrips just say you can do cantrips but none of the other information about spellcasting is there and I expect we'll get some sort of blog about this later sort of explaining about it but the question from just sort of a high level is are you expecting people to use like their primary you know spell to shift to like the class's primary stat or are you really expecting like uh, classes to use these secondary stats for their? They pretty much all have a secondary stat for their spot. Like the champion, which does not have a typo like the monk, where it forgot to say wisdom, says charisma okay. directly in there. That is not the primary stat of the champion, unless you happen to have a character that, for some reason, because most of these martial characters, their primary stat is going to be strength or dexterity, the one they use to fight with, and that's not going to be the stat they cast spells with. Yeah, for the monk, it's wisdom, but I don't think we actually listed it. Yes. Yeah, it's a problem. We forgot. We're going to that's fix a that. bug. Yeah. yeah. 
The online Pathfinder. Last question. The online Pathfinder Society guys have a couple of questions, but I'll keep one. Just one. Uh, for the biggest question then will be about the monkey. We the may have just answered it. <laughs> All right, is it actually monkey? Well, I think you did actually. Okay, the next one is. Uh, what can, what, what can Magic Fang do for your animal companions since they can't benefit from item bonus to attack? Uh, so, they can still get the die. They can still get the die right. until they're higher level and already have the die. Just yeah. kind of like... Um, and the die is kind of better for you anyway. <laughs> that was the trade-off, the yeah. die instead of the hit. Yeah. yeah. I can sneak one last one in for wizards. Where's maximize and intensify? Not Why would we, um, like... <laughs> We intensify is you don't need it anymore. Intensify is a thing that is directly related to an element that is not in the rules. Because okay, intensify, maximize? I want to do the maximum amount of damage so, it possibly can do. So, so, so here's the thing that's a challenge with that. Um, the way that we allow metamagic now to affect spells is just add an action. And if we told you you can now deal max damage with fireball by just adding one action to it, you're going to do it every single time. Yeah. I'm not saying that's break the game. Yeah, it, it's just too good. We would have to find a different way to balance that out. It, I'm not saying it's impossible it, that we wouldn't find a way to do it. It's but. also extremely rulesy. It's yeah. like it kind of means your wizard knows what dice are, which is really <laughs> weird. Well, the wizard knows that they they lay down a, a fireball, let's say ten dice, six height and fireball, and you roll the dice. You can roll six ones. And then we also have the other negative with the reflex save, not, uh, not even hitting critical success. I, 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 would, I would say that I think the one place where we kind of critically looked at the game was we took a very kind of hairy eyeball at anything that removed entire swaths of random chance from the game because those oftentimes were some of the places where the game broke. And, you know, uh, I think having spots in the game where, you know, the fighter, he doesn't get to maximize his dice ever. The you know and uh, but the spellcasters could led us to some spots that were really kind of problematic, especially when we were rebalancing spells to be a better, more engaging part of the game, uh, with the way the critical success strategies work. So uh, maximizing those really kind of pushed our values into places that I don't think we could take them. I'm not saying never, but I'm saying we would need to find a better cost. Than just like you spent the feet and one more action. Because so, height, heightening yeah. has taken the place of empower and maximize yeah. in terms of getting more damage by raising the all spell right. level up. Well, we are at time. So I want to thank you all for coming here today. Uh, I hope you guys have an amazing Gen Con 2019. Uh, and uh, if you haven't picked up your books, make sure to stop by the booth or the satellite booth up here, and we will see you all at the next seminar. Thank you for coming, everybody. And hello, welcome back to PazoCon, not PazoCon, GenCon 2019. That's right. Paizo's presentation. I'm sitting here with Jason Bowman. Jason, how are you enjoying GenCon so far? It has been an absolute blast. Uh, this show has always been nonstop. Right. And this year is beyond no exception. It is, it is, it is beyond all expectations. Uh, you know, we are kind of running around like mad trying to get people's books in their hands right yeah, yeah and that's no small effort the uh, the lines for all of the booths to pick up copies of this game have been slammed you know what actually you know uh, that is absolutely true but i i think uh it has lightened up a bit with the satellite booth right. so if you if you get to our main booth and it's slammed and packed go to the satellite booth the satellite booth right up here near the sagamore mm -hmm. has not had an incredibly long line today 
So how do you feel the game's being received now that it's in the wild, people are grabbing it, going to Sagamore, they're playing I, you know, games? I think, I think we hit that point where uh, everything kind of changes, where the, it's not hypothetical anymore, it's mm -hmm. not a playtest anymore, this is the game it is. Right. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are super thrilled to see it, and uh, we're getting a lot of great feedback and a lot of excited gamers. Yes. You just got done answering a ton of rules Q&A. Yeah. Uh, where do you think... Uh, where are people where are people having questions about the rules now? Like what, what are people think, asking you? I think what we're seeing uh, we're seeing a fair number of questions uh, about what, how, what, and how things change from the playtest. Right. Um, and we're starting to get the first inklings of like actual second edition rules questions, mm -hmm. where we're like, oh, how is this working? Like, for example, we noticed that the monk accidentally did not list wisdom as its key ability for all of its focus spells. <laughs> Little things like yeah. that got to slip through, you know, it, it you know, it just missed our radar when we were doing our pass on it. So, you know, those are actually things that are like, oh yeah, no, we're gonna have to talk about that here in the coming days. But you know what? Every new game goes through that. Right. And, you know, we're we're no exception. So um, I know one of the goals of second edition was to make it easier to learn. And yeah. So we're fine like and we're kind of saying a real intense study on that topic as a lot of people here at the con are picking up the book and trying to get in the games right away. Yeah. Do you think it's mission accomplished with the game as easy as As far as I can tell. Uh, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of people in the Sagamore already playing. Right. They, are already, they started by playing pre-gens, but as the show goes on, you're starting to see more and more people make characters, right, right. which is great. Yeah, I got um, slaughtered as a pre-gen last night. Yeah, no, that'll happen. Yeah, no, Twice. unfortunately. Yeah, one yeah, under yeah. you, and then one under uh, Stephen Oh, Blaker. no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of that, and uh, I, I can't... It's amazing how many folk have come up to me and been like, Oh, no, I read the book yesterday, and I'm like, no, you didn't. It's 640 pages. But what I think they meant is that they read through Chapter 1, which is right. there to kind of walk you through most of the game, and they probably read through a bunch of Chapter 9. The rest of the book is reference material right. mostly anyway. So like, During our review, we even pointed out that we counted it, and there was like 27 pages of rules, and everything else was options. Yeah, it's all about – it's. I mean, a book of this of this type is generally a reference manual. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a book that's like, oh, this is, this is a barn burner of a yarn, right? I mean, no. <laughs> It's like, all right, here's the spells chapter. Good luck reading them all. And I'm not saying that there aren't fun things to read in there, mm -hmm. because there really are. But but that's not the point. The point is to be a good reference manual at the table. Mm -hmm. If it's not a good reference manual at the table, it's not doing its job. So, But that, that doesn't mean we don't have chapters that are like, hey, let's talk to you about how this game actually works. And that's mm -hmm. what chapter one is there for. That's what chapter nine is there for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, so we're pretty excited for that. Yeah. All right. So what... Should people look forward to for the rest of the con? Like, what should they make sure they tune in for? And is there anything else exciting going on you want the attention brought to? So, uh, things that are still uh, really awesome that are about to happen uh, Saturday. Mm -hmm. The Paizo 2019 and Beyond Seminar. Saturday right. afternoon, I believe it's at 4... Say. Uh, it is. Let me pull the sheet. Uh, I, yeah. uh, I believe it's at 4 p.m. That is the spot where we are going to be uh, looking at uh, everything that is coming out in the near future. So you're going to want to see the Paizo 2019 and Beyond seminar. That one is going to be packed full of great stuff. Excellent. And uh, that, that that's going to be the big one for Twitch. I would say the next morning we are doing, Sunday morning, <laughs> assuming I'm awake, uh, we will be doing a uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition Philosophy and Future kind of panel um, where we'll be talking more about some of the stuff that was announced in the 2019 and Beyond panel. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll use that as an opportunity to kind of go a little deeper in what our plans are for the future. 
So for the game, that that would be that would be the big things. Thank you for taking the time to come back here and join us. I Absolutely. look forward to seeing you at your next upcoming panels. Awesome. I hope you have a great Gen Con. Thank you very much. We're we're having a great time. Yes, we'll be back with the next panel in just a few seconds. And that was part of No Direction's 2019 Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to nodirectionpodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you'd like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at patreon.com slash nodirection. Or click on the Patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com.